of prayer. We're in Genesis chapter number 14, uh, finishing up Genesis 14. Last week, uh, we looked at the beginning of Genesis 14 where we saw Abram going to war. And uh, <clears throat> I really enjoyed looking at that. Uh, there's many miraculous battles throughout the Bible, uh, but that is one that oftentimes we don't look at the battle itself. I enjoyed last week looking at the battle, looking at the odds, and looking at how God miraculously delivered uh, that army into Abram's hands and enabled Abram to have the victory. But after the, uh, after the battle, um, we see that Abram receives a blessing. And that's in verses 17 down through verse number 24. And that's what we're going to be looking at this evening is Abram receiving a blessing after the battle. And so we're going to read uh, starting in verse number 17, read down through verse number 24, and then we'll get into the rest of this chapter. The Bible says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word. And Father, I love looking at your word. I love studying your word. And Lord, I love... Oh Lord how that we can look at a passage of Scripture. And Lord, we see historical truths. And uh, Lord, we see uh, uh, biblical truths that help us see the path, uh, Lord, that was taken to bring the Messiah. But then, Father, at the same time, we can see practical truths uh, that, Lord, will apply to us today. And so, Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture concerning Abram receiving this blessing, Father, I pray, uh, Lord, that we will receive instruction, we'll receive understanding, and, Lord, that we will be challenged in your word. Father, I pray. I ask you to be with with the programs downstairs, be with Pastor Kent as he is working with the teens. I pray you be with Aiden as he is working with the younger children. I pray to the Lord that you'll bless the ladies working in the kitchen. And Lord, everyone that is involved downstairs, Father, I pray that you'll bless that ministry. Now, Lord, I know in a moment we'll be praying over the prayer list, but Lord, I do pray uh, for each one that is unable to be here tonight, Lord, due to sickness or uh, Lord, illness or something going on in their body, Lord, I pray that you will touch them and help them. I pray you strengthen them and encourage them. And, Father, that you'll be near and dear to them. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Bless now as we look into your word. And, Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We begin into this passage of Scripture. Of course, as I said, uh, Abram has just came back from the battle. If you remember, uh, Abram uh, went to uh, defeat Chedorlaomer. Chedorlaomer had uh, put together an alliance of three other kings, and all four of them was uh, coming up uh, through the land, and they were just defeating everybody. I mean, they was just wiping everybody out, and they came 
uh, to the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom had made an alliance with four other kings, making an alliance of five kings. And Chedorlaomer, they thought that they would be able to stop him, but Chedorlaomer, he didn't hesitate. Uh, he overthrew them, uh, took them captive. And because Lot was staying there uh, at Sodom, uh, he was taken captive as well. Well, when word got to Abram that Lot had been taken captive, Abram said, we're going to do something about this. And so Abram gathered up 318 servants. He had 318 servants, and we can see from verse number 24 that he also had some neighbors, uh, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre. Uh, there are some uh, folks that speculate whether or not these men had any guys with them, but from everything we see, it was just these three men, Abram and Abram's 318 servants. And so they go up against Chedorlaomer and the other three kings, an alliance of four kings. They go up against them, uh, they pursue them, they overtake them, and the Lord gives to Abram a great miraculous victory that night. And he is able to rescue Lot and to deliver the king of Sodom and the other kings in that alliance. But as we begin looking at verse number 17 down through the end of the chapter, the first thing that we notice is that there are two kings spoken of here in this passage. Now, in verses uh, verse 1 through 16, we were introduced to nine kings, nine different kings, and their names are listed there in the first two verses of chapter number 14. Uh, but here in verses 17 to 24, we meet a tenth king. We're going to meet a king that was not mentioned in the original nine kings. After Abram's victory, two kings come to the valley of Sheba. This is a place that was known as the king's dale, and they come to greet Abram after the victory. One of these kings we've already met, that is the king of Sodom. His name is Bera, Bera, B-E-R-A, the king of Sodom. Bera is the king who thought that he could stop Chedorlaomer. He is the king that rallied with the surrounding kings and said, hey, we can stop this guy. He formed an alliance. He, he made a plan. He attempted to overthrow Chedorlaomer. This was Bera. He was the guy that thought he could overcome, but we find out that he wasn't as successful as he thought he would. It's interesting to note that the name Bera means gift. The name Bera means gift. And this is interesting because I believe that this reveals something about Bera that we know to be true about the king of Sodom. And that is that Bera was a materialistic king. Bera was a guy who was focused on material things. Uh, he, he wanted material things. He motivated others with material things. Uh, he was a guy who was focused on material things. And we know this is true, that he was a materialistic king because the Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter number 16 and verse number 49, speaking of Sodom, and this is what the Bible says about Sodom. It says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her. This Sodom was a materialistic society. The king of Sodom was a materialistic king. The second king we're introduced to as we enter the valley of Sheba is Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Now, although Melchizedek has come to the valley of Sheba to meet Abram after the battle, if we look back at the list of kings at the beginning of chapter number 14, you will find out that Melchizedek's name nor the city of Salem is listed in that list. They were not involved in the battle at all. However, after the battle, we find Melchizedek coming to greet 
Abram after the battle. And that Melchizedek is a tough name to spell. I see y'all looking up there often after typing it several times. I think I've got it figured out. But I'll tell you, quite a name to spell there. But we see that uh, Melchizedek, although he wasn't involved in the battle, after the battle, he comes to the valley of Sheba to meet Abram. Whenever we look at Melchizedek's name, we find that his name means king of righteousness. King of righteousness. Which clearly indicates that unlike all the other kings who were involved in the battle, this king was a king who was a righteous king. All the other kings, as we mentioned last week, were just pagan kings. But Melchizedek, who comes to meet Abram there in the valley of Sheba, he was a righteous king. Now anyone uh, that's been a student of the word of God at all for any length of time, you have encountered Melchizedek or you have heard him mentioned in a sermon. Somewhere you've come across this name. And the question comes to mind, who is Melchizedek? Because it's interesting to note that Melchizedek only appears three times in the Word of God. He appears in the Word of God here in Genesis chapter number 14, greeting Abraham after the battle. Uh, he appears in Psalm 10. He is Psalm 110. He is mentioned in one verse in Psalm 110. And then he is described in comparison with Christ in the book of Hebrews. And so this is the only three places that Melchizedek appears. And we really don't know much about Melchizedek. Now I'm going to give to you uh, three common theories about Melchizedek and, and I may tell you which one I favor. Maybe I won't. I'll see how you respond. No, I'll tell you which one I favor. But there's three common theories about Melchizedek. But I will say that we don't know exactly who Melchizedek is. Now we can look at Scripture, we can compare Scripture to Scripture, we can make educated guesses, but the truth is the Bible does not specifically tell us who Melchizedek is. And so there's no reason to be dogmatic about something the Bible's not dogmatic about. And so that's always a good rule of thumb. But there are three common theories uh, as to who Melchizedek is. And as we look at these, you can look through them and see what you think. Uh, Jewish history maintains that Melchizedek was Shem. That would be your first blank, Shem, the son of Noah, and that he had settled there in Canaan and was ruling over his descendants. And so uh, that's the Jewish history maintains that that's who Melchizedek was. Uh, but there are those who disagree with this theory, and they say that it's not probable that this would have been Shem. And here's the reasons they don't believe this. First, there's nothing in Scripture that indicates that this was Shem. And so that's the first argument. They, there's no Scripture that backs this other than it's Jewish tradition, but no Scripture that backs this. Um, also, uh, this would have made Shem the oldest person alive at this time. Um, and we do know that after the flood, the lifespan of man decreased uh, uh, considerably after the flood. We know that uh, Abram and Sarah were considered very old in their 90s. Uh, now before the flood, they lived a lot longer, but this is after the flood if folks didn't live that long. If this were Shem, he would have been about 600 years old. And so uh, he would have been kind of out of out of loop with what was happening in the rest of the world if this had have been Shem. Um, <clears throat> We also are caused to wonder, if this is Shem, why is his name changed in this account and nowhere else? Why is he never referred to as Melchizedek 
anywhere else except right here. And so uh, there are those that hold that this was sham, uh, but there's really no Bible backing for that. And of course, some some questions that raise that make us think that this is probably not who it was. Now, many scholars, the second one, many scholars maintain that Melchizedek was a Christophany. And you say, now what in the world is a Christophany? Well, a Christophany is a pre-Bethlehem Old Testament appearance of Christ. So that means that Christ, the Lord Jesus, appeared in a bodily form before Bethlehem. He appeared to people in the Old Testament before Bethlehem. And we refer to those that Christophany is not a Bible word, it's a word that man has coined that helps us understand what we're talking about is that Christ appeared in a bodily form in the Old Testament. Now, we do know that this has happened. Matter of fact, I believe that the Bible says that no man hath seen God at any time and yet we have occurrences in the Old Testament where God appeared to people. And so folks will sometimes hang up on that and say, what, what's going on here? Well, no man has seen God, but man has seen Christ. And I believe that Old Testament appearances of God was Christ. And man has seen Christ. And that's what this is, is that Christ appeared in a bodily form. Um, there's many, many examples of Christophanies throughout the Old Testament that we could look at. I'm not going to take time to look at all of them, but I will give you just a few examples that maybe you would recognize. Uh, when the Lord, when Abram arrived in the land that God had promised him, we looked at this back in chapter number 12. Uh, we see that the Bible says that the Lord appeared to Abram. Uh, whenever he arrived there, the Lord appeared to Abram. We believe that this would have been a pre-Bethlehem Old Testament appearance of Christ. In Genesis 18, we'll look at this in a few chapters ahead, uh, just before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, there were three angels or three uh, visitors that came to Abram. And we understand from the Word of God that it was two angels and God that appeared to Abram uh, but right before he destroyed Sodom. And so uh, we, we remember that Abram invited them to come into his home and uh, prepared a meal for them. And we believe that this is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter number 32, you probably remember this story, when Jacob wrestled with the Lord, and he wrestled all night with a physical person who was a lot stronger than he was, uh, wrestled all night with him. This is a Old Testament appearance of Christ. And so we could go on and on and on. There are many, 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 many examples of uh, Old Testament appearances of Christ. And so many people feel that that is what we have here with Melchizedek, that Melchizedek was a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Christ, that this was Christ in a bodily form greeting Abram after the battle. And there's many reasons to believe that Melchizedek was indeed a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Christ when we compare this passage with the passage in the book of Hebrews. So if, if you want, take a moment, turn over to Hebrews chapter number 7. You might want to notate this. In Hebrews chapter number 7, we have a comparison uh, or more description concerning Melchizedek. And for those of you trying to learn how to spell it, you'll see it's spelled differently in the New Testament, and that'll just add to your confusion next time you try to write it down. But it is indeed the same person. Here in Hebrews chapter number 7, uh, look in verse 1 
down through verse number 3. The Bible says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now catch this third verse as we're describing Melchizedek. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now there's three things I see here concerning Melchizedek that leads me to believe that this could very possibly be an Old Testament appearance of Christ. The Bible in Hebrews describes Melchizedek as being without parents. He had no parents. Without father, without mother. No parents. We also find that he was without beginning or end. It said there in verse number 3, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. And the Bible also says that Melchizedek is a priest continually. That means that his priesthood never ends. And whenever you look at those three things, uh, I think that without father and mother, without beginning and end, being a priest continually, very strongly supports that Melchizedek was an Old Testament appearance of Christ. However, there are those who despite this passage of Scripture uh, say that uh, they don't believe that he was an Old Testament appearance of Christ because, and here's the two reasons that they'll give you, in verse number 3 it says that Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. And in verse number 4, Hebrews chapter number 7 refers to Melchizedek as a man. And so they say he wasn't uh, Christ because uh, we see that he was like the Son of God and the Bible refers to him as a man. Uh, The third theory uh, concerning who Melchizedek was uh, was, is that he was simply an early king of Jerusalem, uh, that he was a Canaanitish prince uh, that reigned in Salem, which uh, some people believe that Salem was an early name for Jerusalem. It's pretty much uh, agreed on that that was an early name for Jerusalem. A few people question it, but mainly folks believe that Salem was an early name for Jerusalem and that this guy was a prince that reigned in Salem and he kept up the true religion there. They say that he was just simply an early king there in Jerusalem. But if this is so, if that's what he was, just an early king in Jerusalem, we have to question why is this the only place we ever hear of this guy? Why why is he never mentioned at any other time? And also we have to wonder, God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. He called Abram to Canaan to worship him. Abram comes to Canaan and Abram is building his own altars when in the same neighborhood is apparently a priest who is worshiping the same God who Abram is paying tithes to. So why is Abram building his own altars? Why wouldn't he be attending the altars of Melchizedek who was there in the same neighborhood and greater than he? And so there's other problems that we can look at as well with him being simply a king of Jerusalem. Now the truth is the Bible doesn't specifically tell us who Melchizedek is. Therefore, as I said earlier, I can't be dogmatic about it because the Bible's not dogmatic. However, I will say that I strongly favor that this is 
and Old Testament appearance of Christ. And that is the, the theory that I lean to. And Now, if you've studied this out and you've came to a different conclusion, I'd love to sit down with you over a cup of coffee and just talk about it. But I believe that this was an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And you say, well, what about the, the two statements there? Uh, whenever it says that he was made like the Son of God, we remember that Christ had not been born yet. And so he would have been in the same form as Christ was when he came to earth. And so we see a similarity there. And then in Hebrews 7, verse number 4, referring to him as a man, I really don't have a problem with that because my Savior was 100% man. He was ever bit man, ever bit God. And so I personally believe that this was an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And there's much more that I could get into, and I really thought about derailing from Abram and just digging into Melchizedek tonight. And then I'm like, well, we'll just brush the surface, get everybody's interest up, and maybe we'll come back to Melchizedek at another time. But there's a lot more that we can dig into because Christ was made a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And when we get digging into that, I believe that there's really not much question left as to who Melchizedek was. But we will take and look at that at another time. We'll move on with Abraham for now. So we see that each king who met Abram in the valley of Sheva had something to offer him. They had something to offer, something that they wanted to give him. We see two offers being given to Abram there in the valley of Sheva. We see that the king of Salem brought something to Abram. We see the king of Salem brought sustenance and blessing. The king of Salem came to Abram and he brought sustenance and blessing. It says there in verse 18 uh, down through verse number 20, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. We see that Melchizedek showed up. Abram has had a great victory. God has delivered the enemy into Abram's hand. This is a miraculous work of God. After the battle, Melchizedek meets him, and Melchizedek meets him uh, with sustenance uh, and blessing. Now, there, it is interesting to note, and I don't know if this comparison can be definitely made, but it's an interesting note, uh, that Melchizedek met Abram with bread and wine. And now, whenever we celebrate the death of Christ and we partake in the communion, we partake of bread and wine. And so we see here a picture looking forward to the cross of Christ, looking forward to Calvary. Uh, but he met uh, Abram, even if we don't make that comparison, we see that Melchizedek uh, met Abram with something that could be a blessing to Abram. He met Abram uh, with physical sustenance. He met Abram uh, uh, with food. He met him with the refreshment, something that would strengthen him, something that would help him and uplift him. Uh, and not only did he meet him with something refreshing and strengthening, but we see that Melchizedek blessed Abram. It says he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And then... After blessing Abram, he blessed God. He said, And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. Melchizedek came for one reason, and that was to strengthen and encourage the servant of God. He showed up to help and strengthen the servants of God. But then we see that the king of Sodom also 
had something that he was offering to Abram. And we see that the king of Sodom brought, offered spoil and servitude. Now you recognize that the king of Salem brought what he was going to give to Abram. He brought it with him. But the king of Sodom didn't bring anything with him. He just made an offer. Here is what I'll offer you. And he offered spoil and servitude. You say, well, I don't see anything about the servitude there. Well, and that's what the king of Sodom was hoping that Abram would say. But Abram was sharp, and Abram figured out what he was doing because Abram said, I do not want it to be said that the king of Sodom hath made me rich. See, Abram understood that if he accepted from the king of Sodom, he would be a debtor to the king of Sodom. And he didn't want no part of being a debtor to the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom came and offered spoil and servitude. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. The king of Sodom, and of course we already know that he was a low-down individual, but I'm telling you, his, his character flaws really stand out here. Chetelamer just, just whipped him real good and took him captive and hauled him off. And here comes Abram. Abram defeats Chetelamer and sets all the captives free. Chet, uh, Bera is Abram's servant now. Bera belongs to Abram. Abram is the victor. All these captives are now Abram's. And the captive begins to bargain with the victor. He says, Here, here's, what, here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. I'll let you have the spoil and I'll keep the people. The spoil already belonged to Abram. The people belonged to Abram. Abram had already won this victory. But Bera, he was a poor character and he was trying to uh, bargain with Abram with something that Abram already had. Now, not only did the spoil and the people already belong to Abram because he was the victor, but Abram understood that he had no need for the spoil. Just in the last chapter, God reminded him, Abram, look as far as you can see. Everything you see, I'm going to give it to you. Abram, it all belongs to you. I've given it all to you, Abram. I will take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll fight your battles for you. Abram, you serve me, and I'll take care of everything. Whenever you own everything, what does the spoil amount to? Abram had no need for the spoil. What do I need of the spoil? I already have everything. God had already promised that he would take care of him, but Bera, if you remember, was a materialistic king. And so he operated on the mindset of material thing. And so if he's going to bargain with Abram because he is materialistic, he's going to bargain with material things. And so he begins to try and lure him into an indebtedness to Bera by offering him these material goods. You know, I think that this passage is very revealing as to how the devil works. The devil loves to lure us with material things that God has already said he will take care of for us. If you remember, whenever the devil tempted Christ, he tempted Christ with material things. You say, man, I just, you know, I look at the temptation of Christ and I'm like, wow, he was able to resist that temptation. Yeah, because he understood that he already owned everything and everything the devil was offering him was nothing in comparison to who he was and what he possessed. You're like, oh, well, that's why we fall into temptation because we don't already own everything. See, I'm setting you up here. Because you already do own everything. And the material things that the devil uses to trip and ensnare 
people ought not be a problem, ought not be a temptation. We ought to be able to be like Abram and say, I don't want your stuff, devil. God's already given me everything. He's blessed me with more than I can partake of. I I don't want your stuff, devil. It's not an interest to me. But yet the devil is materialistic in his thinking and he is materialistic in his temptation. And sadly, people fall every day to the trick of the devil. Abram owned the spoil and he owned the people. According to the law of warfare in that day, Chedorlaomer, Barah, all nine kings, they all belonged to Abram. He was the victor. It was his. All belonged to him. And Abram said, I don't need it. I don't need it. Barah said, let me give you some spoil. Barah thinking that now he would be indebted to him. You know what the devil does? The devil says to people, he says, here, let me give you a little bit of the world's good. And then those people who could have been eating at the table of he that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, those people live their life indebted to the devil for something that had already been promised to them. We see here that the king of Sodom came offering spoil and servitude, but Abram, Abram turned it down. We see that there were two responses. There were two offers and Abram responded differently to each offer. Let's look at the two responses. First we see that he responded to Melchizedek with worship. He responded to Melchizedek with worship. The Bible says there in verse 18 down through verse number 20, we see that Melchizedek came, he brought him bread and wine, he blessed Abram, he blessed the God of Abram. And then we see in the last part of verse number 20, speaking of Abram, and he gave him tithes of all. In Hebrews 7 and verse number 1, or excuse me, verse number 2, it says, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Abram took it, he said, Melchizedek, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I possess. Melchizedek, I'm giving it to you. You say, how is that worship? Offerings are a form of worship. When we take what is ours and we give it back to God, it is a form of worship. And Abram responded to Melchizedek's blessing with worship. And something I meant to say a moment ago, I forgot, is there's a difference in Melchizedek and Barah. Barah came to Abram looking for something for himself. He was bargaining, but he was ultimately looking for something for himself. The king of Salem came only to bless Abram. Whenever we make a comparison between Christ and the devil, whenever the Lord ministers to us, he's not looking for nothing for himself. He brings things that strengthen, encourage, and lift up and help us. But the devil always comes looking for something for himself. We see here that the king of Salem came and Abram responded with worship. But then not only did he respond to Melchizedek with worship, but he responded to Barah in wisdom. And the king of Sodom said, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men 
which went with me, Aner, Eskel, Mamre, let them take their portion. We see here that Abram responded in wisdom. He said, Bera, before I went to battle, I lifted my hand up before God and said, I'm not looking for possessions. I'm not looking for gain. I simply want to rescue Lot. And this is what I promised God. Bera, I don't want your stuff. I have no need for it. I don't even need a shoelace, Bera. I don't want anything you've got because this is what I promised before God. You know what? It would help us all if we would remember what we promised God and stick to what we had promised God. Another little tidbit I wanted to show you right here. I just This just stood out to me. Is in verse number 19. Melchizedek is talking to Abram. And he said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God. In this next phrase, he's going to give a description of God. Possessor of heaven and earth. Now prior to this verse, that description of God has never been used. We don't have that description in our Bible prior to that verse. But in verse number 22, Abram is talking to Berah. And Abram says to Berah, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. You know what I see here is that Abram liked what Melchizedek had to say about God and he was looking for an opportunity to repeat it. He said, Melchizedek just clued me in on a way that we can describe God. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. Barry, I don't need your stuff. Melchizedek just reminded me that my God possesses everything. Barry, I, don't, I made a promise to God and he's the possessor of everything. I don't need your stuff. I am content with letting God take care of me. He responded in wisdom to Bera's offer. You know what? We can look at this story, and there's a lot of interesting things in this story. But if we can learn one thing, we can learn this, that it'll do us well in this life to refuse temporal possessions and depend on eternal promises. Refuse the temporal possessions and depend on eternal promises. That's what Abram did and God blessed him greatly for it. Hopefully y'all enjoyed that and uh, maybe y'all go home and dig into Melchizedek a little bit and see what kind of conclusion you can come up with. Very interesting guy in the word of God, Melchizedek. I believe he's a, if he wasn't an Old Testament appearance of Christ, he is definitely a very clear picture of Christ. And so, hope y'all enjoyed that lesson this evening.